Alrighty guys, welcome to the Elkhunt Podcast. Today, I got a little bit of a different show for you. In fact, this is me on a guest of another show, a good friend of mine, Jay Nichols. He runs the Mindful Hunter Podcast and he does a great YouTube channel. He has a great community for, if you're into gear, I highly recommend checking it out. But in this episode, we dive into kind of the going from 101 to 201. And this was such a great conversation that I just had to share it with you guys. So I hope you guys get something out of it. Uh, Jay, we've actually done podcast with Jay in the past and we've talked about kind of his journey and this year you know he put an elk on the ground again in Canada which is pretty impressive in its own right I mean he's archery hunting in a rifle area but we also talk about you know this concept he was like man I just want to be a consistent hunter and I was like uh, he texted me this and I said you know that's what we call 201 around here and so we dove into it a lot and we talk about you know what it takes to be consistent and we talk about this like luck versus you know building a system which I know you guys hear me talk a lot about all the time, but man, I really thought this was one of the better podcasts I've done in a very long time. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Thought I'd throw it on here. It's also on Jay's podcast. Uh, and be sure to go check out Jay's podcast as well. Uh, he puts out some great content. Like I said, if you're into gear, he is the gear guy. He is absolutely obsessed with it. So uh, shout out to Jay. Thanks for having me on Jay. Oh, and one more thing, if you guys haven't yet, be sure to check out the course right now because this month, I actually put it up a little bit early, but I put it up, uh, we're doing a sweepstakes giveaway, We whether be... Uh, we're giving away a Weatherby Backcountry 2.0 in the 338 RPM. This gun is bad to the bone. It is so lightweight. And I set this up as a gun for me to kind of just be like my meat getter, man. This is like my brush busting. Uh, and I hope to kill a couple elk with it this year, but this gun is awesome. I love it. Uh, I got one set up for me and, uh, we're doing a giveaway. So if you go sign up for my elk hunt 201 course, then you're going to be automatically entered to win this backcountry 2.0 and 338 and a Maven RS1 rifle scope. It's a sweet setup, and I think you get some ammo with it too. All in all, it's over $4,000 package. So if you've been thinking about it, now is the time. Go sign up for the course and get entered to win this super cool sweepstakes. All right, thanks guys. Enjoy the podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Mindful Hunter podcast. I'm your host as always, Jay Nickel, here with a good friend of mine, Cody Rich. Um, and I want to give Cody a bit of an, a bit of a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not an unusual intro, but I think everybody who listens to my podcast will recognize Cody as kind of like one of the OG podcasters, but the influence he's had on me. And if you listen to my podcast or belong to mindful reviews, more surprisingly, the influence that he's had on you doesn't come from that side of his world. So Cody has also started an online platform called Rich Ideas, which is basically about a support community for entrepreneurs who are looking to, you know, create side hustles or basically want more freedom in their lives and want to be hunt more. And they're not exclusively looking for the next million dollar idea. It could be the next hundred grand a year idea that's just going to let you hunt more. But Cody had a profound impact on mindful reviews ever even happening. I'm not going to say it wouldn't have happened without him, but it certainly wouldn't have happened when it happened or the way it happened without him. So I was going back and forth with Cody about this backpack review I did, and he I was on vacation in um, Arizona, and I got this text at like four o'clock or five o'clock in the morning <laughs> saying, you need to start a Kickstarter. And it, the funny thing is, I actually kind of 
unintentionally misinterpreted the like the intention of your original text and kind of took your original idea and went a different way with it. But we had this kind of flurry of texts back and forth and then seeing what you were kind of giving birth to with the rich ideas platform. And in my head, I always thought building some type of platform was like a 50 to 70 K investment. And I didn't even know these like plug and play platforms even existed. And we don't have to dive into the whole story, but as much as Cody is known for hunting, and this is kind of funny, I think his legacy, your legacy is actually going to be more cemented in the impact you've had on people's lives in a business sense and helping them. Peter Thiel had this crazy book called From Zero to One. And I think that's actually a more important question than one to a hundred. I think there's more content, like 10 times, an order of magnitude, more content about how to get from one to a hundred than there is about how to get from zero to one. And I think getting from zero to one is the harder problem to solve, both from a creative perspective and a systems perspective. Because for Mindful Reviews, that was the zero to one bump. Like the whole, I know I have an idea. I know I have a unique voice. I know I have something of value that I can bring to the community, but I don't know how to monetize it. And I don't know how to create this like system around on it. So if, if anybody's listening and you're at that point where it's like, you know, you've got the ambition and you know what you want to do something kind of on your own, but you're, but you're not quite sure what those next steps are. I highly recommend Cody's platform because it, that it is to entrepreneurs, what mindful reviews is to gear nerds. It's really a, just a community of like-minded individuals who are there to support each other. And then in addition, there's like the content generation that Cody and I do and the kind of like guidance that we give to both the communities. But I think the real value proposition of those communities is the member to member interactions and the support groups. Like I love coming away from a hunt and like the forums have blown up. People had questions, other people solved. Like I didn't have anything to do with it. So anyways, super long-winded, long-winded <laughs> um, intro, but I wanted to get that out because I don't know I think we've talked about it a little bit on podcast, but I don't know if I've ever come right out um, with the with the history of of the impact you had on the kind of inception of of mindful reviews. Well, I appreciate that, man, and I do think it's like uh, zero to one is tough, and for many of us, you know, you're not surrounded by people who think like that, and so the more you can surround yourself with people who think like that. Uh, you you kind of all of a sudden becomes easy, and dude, you could take this to elk hunting, you take it to whatever, but it's like if you, if you want to get an elk hunting and didn't know anybody, it would be so difficult, you know, but yeah. like all of a sudden surround yourself with people who do it every year and travel all over. And all of a sudden it becomes the new norm. And like, that's just kind of the way it works. Uh, and so I do huge believer in that. And that's, I mean, like you said, I have always been obsessed with hunting, but I, I don't know that I want even want that to be my legacy. Like I want to help people uh, build this thing that I built or am building, which is to say that like, man, I just built my entire life. Like, how do I go elk hunting all the time? And so like the the thing that I could do is like, yeah, I could tell you how to go elk hunting. But more importantly is like, how can I take you from five days of elk hunting to 30 days of elk hunting, which that's really where the the secret sauce becomes. This is like, that's how you really get good at something. This year, um, you know, I, I tagged out fairly early. And so I was only able to archery hunt for eight days. And I told my wife, I was like, this is insane that we obsess about this year round for an eight day window. Like, yeah. like it's so hard. And like, that's, I mean, probably what most people do is eight days. 
And I'm like, man, how do you even learn or grow on eight days? Like it's barely a sample size. (laughs) I was just having this conversation. So the dude who called in my bull is like a, a resident up North. And I was like trying to compare the experience that those guys who live up there get to like us down here in the lower mainland. I basically said, it's going to take us 10 years. I mean, I'm a bit of an exception because my kind of life is hunting now, but a regular like two week a year, you you know, big one trip a year, it is going to take you 10 years to accumulate the experience. Those guys will get in one season. Like it, and, and I don't know how you compete with that. You know what I mean? So this is an actual and interesting segue because the reason I invited Cody on is that so I took a bull for the second time in a row this year. And that's the first time other than like little blacktail and stuff on Haida Gwaii, which I don't really count. Like it's this, it's the first time I've been able to put consistent archery success up back to back. And that was a very big deal to me. Possibly the biggest goal I've had in hunting since I started. Like it might've been the thing that was most, because when I think to myself, what is a successful hunter? It's somebody who can go out and fill the freezer every year, no matter what. Don't tell me it was dry. Don't tell me there was pressure. Like it's always dry. There's always pressure. It's that guy who always gets it done. And I've always wanted to be that guy. And I haven't up till this point. And I don't know if I'm that guy yet. I'm that guy today. You know, I like that Jocko willing thing. The clock started again, man. You know what I mean? Like I'm right back to zero and I'm going to have to go do it again next year. But I was having this conversation with Cody. He sent me a little congratulatory message. And I, I said, you know, it was a really big deal to me, probably bigger than trophy class at least. And this is going to fit into your kind of numbering system here in a moment. And I said, I've always wanted to be that guy. And I gave the description I just gave. And he goes around here, we call that 201. And that, <laughs> I was like, oh, I remember now. I can remember hearing these podcasts yeah. about the whole 201. And if we got into trophy class and reliable trophy class, now I think we're getting into the 301. But I thought to myself, when I first started the podcast, the thing that I was interested in and the thing that most of the people who were listening were interested in is just how to get something on the ground. You know what I mean? Now I think me and my listeners are at a point like, okay, we know how to like luck out and get something on the ground every now and then enough that people recognize us as hunters, but we don't feel like we're those legit killers that go out and do it every year. So I wanted to have a podcast with Cody because I like the way he analyzes and basically have a conversation like how does somebody turn from that 101 hunter into that 201 hunter. So that's essentially, and I think we're going to use business as analogies. We're going to use different big game as an an analogies. Like I think these these lessons will not just be applicable to hunting. And they might even be things you're already doing in other areas of your life. You just haven't recognized them as the habits that you need to apply in hunting to create that successful transition. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, this started in 2019. Jade and I started talking about this and it was never a riff on like Elk 101. Like I think what Corey does is great. And it wasn't, I didn't want it to be a bash on 101, but we always said like, okay, there's like levels to elk hunting, right? And you know, 101 is like, you're you're wandering around, you're just trying to get lucky, right? You're just like trying yeah. to like, I hope I run into an elk. I hope, you know, whatever. You know, and the 201 guy is the guy that's consistently killing, you know, it doesn't even have to be six points. He's just like able to kill every single year. And then you get to six points, you know, and there's probably a level within 201. And then I look at like, 
guys like Sean Melland, uh, even Lucas Mecula, like a lot of these guys that are like, man, they can kill, they can find one bull and hunt him for 30 days and, and kill him. I'm like, that's some 301 shit, right? Like, and I'm like, that's always been impressive. And so like, that's just kind of for a baseline for people. Like this isn't like some science. It was just this made up term we did like in 2019, but it's become so applicable. And it's like, to me, it's like, I've studied business relentlessly, studied entrepreneurship relentlessly. And I've always been able to apply it to elk hunting because I see so many parallels within elk hunting and business. So, you know, you and I were talking about doing a podcast and there's just so much more information and well thought out information about business and entrepreneurship that it's easier to apply, right? Like there's not hundreds and hundreds of books on elk hunting. So now we have hundreds of books on entrepreneurship and then my brain just associates them with elk hunting. So, you know, I see a lot of these principles in lifestyle design and in business and all these things. I'm like, oh, that's very accurate for elk hunting too. And like, you know, this is my, you know, my journey. Um, you know, I've been doing this since, oh man, like I, I first started archery hunting at like 14 it's over 20 years, whatever it is, you know? Uh, so roughly speaking, I've been archery elk hunting for four for over 20 years. And I think this is my 23rd season. If I get right. I can't remember, but was I successful? Am I the best elk hunter? Absolutely not. You know, and there's always levels of this game. And I think I'm always trying to learn and trying to grow. I'm probably one of the few people that's ever hunted like Roosevelt's from Oregon to the prairies of, you know, uh, Montana. I'll be in Arizona this year. Like, I put myself in situations that are uh, new and they're challenging and I get my ass kicked. And I do that because I don't want to like be the internet's best elk hunter. I want to do it because I want to learn. I want to be able to call hunt elk um, in Roosevelt's from the prairie. I mean, I got my ass kicked in the prairie for a number of years still do. And so it's like, to me, it's like, I want to be a master of the game and not necessarily like the Instagram famous person who just kills elk all the time. So, and we talked about this and the confidence and things, but we get, dude, I don't know where you want to go or you want to start, but like, to me, you know, I start when I think about the difference between 101 and 201, it's the most unsexiest thing in the world. And the, the same would, tr- you would tell someone the same thing about business. It's like, everyone's looking for this great idea or there's like, oh, this hero thing. Like it was like this luck draw or this big relationship, but you know, who's successful in business is people who do the the simple things well, they execute the systems well, right? Like it's not glamorous and no one cares, but at the end of the day, like they have, they know what to do and they operate and they just execute. It's inputs equal outputs. And I, I did an entire podcast on this, but it's like, dude, the inputs equal outputs. And that's kind of the basis. when I think about, you know, building a system, I think at 201 level is when you start to say, you know, oh, this works. When I do this, this works. And we could get into this like confidence thing. And like, how do you have confidence? You've never done it. You never had success. But to me, like the basis of becoming 201 is to sit down and build a system. Win this, win this, do that. Right. Like, and it's like that simple. And I know it's not sexy, but like, that's the difference. Like I could go, I'm I'm not trying to be like, braggadocious was like, I feel like I could go anywhere in any state and I could figure it out. And, you know, 10 days, maybe a little longer, I could figure it out because I know what it looks like. I know where, how to show up in a unit and how to search the unit. I know how to like get close to elk. And like, I just have that system. And I interviewed tons and tons of elk hunters. And what I found is like, they all kind of have their own system. I think when I started interviewing elk hunters, I was looking for the secret, right? But at the end of the day, it was like, man, Ryan Lampers does this. Sean does this. Uh, Elknut does this. I'm like, that's it. You know, they all do different shit. So what do I do? And it became like, no, they all have a system. Like every hunter over years develops this, like win this, then that. And most of them 
couldn't tell it to you. Like they don't think about it in that context. Like they're just like, yeah, I do what I do, you know? And like, they just know how to rinse and repeat and they have confidence in their system. I don't care if you calf call, if you challenge Google, like they have a system and they kind of implement it and they just kind of do that thing. Right. And this is what takes years to figure out. And this is why a lot of people say like, oh, well, you have to just have experience. You have to have years. So I got to thinking about like, well, how do you circumnavigate that? Like, how do you just work on that faster? How do you, how do you take that 10 year learning curve if you only go a week a year and cut it down? Right. And so like, that's kind of the basis of how I think about a system and how I think about becoming that 201 hunter. Okay. So there's a couple things that I want to touch on. Uh, number one, I was just listening to, uh, Alex Hormozy on the Modern Wisdom podcast. And he had said something that really struck home to me is that a good plan adhered to will always beat a great plan not adhered to. 100%. And I think I'm with you. And the other analogy I'm going to use is bodybuilding. I can pick 10 Mr. Olympias and I can show you 10 different training systems. Right. Like there is no one ring to rule them all when it comes. And I'm going to go so far as to say when it comes to anything, when it comes right. to building businesses, when it comes to hunting elk, when it comes to building muscle, when it comes to losing fat. So I think the, you know, tactic number one, if we're going to create a bullet point list here is develop a system and stick to it. Now, I think that is easier said than done. And one of the mistakes I think I made early on so there's another analogy from bodybuilding. If you want to become a bodybuilder, don't go do what Mr. Olympia does. Go with, go do what that guy who's just a little more jacked than you at the gym does. Because the guy who's Mr. Olympia, like the Ryan Lampers and the other guys, they're so far evolved that some of their stuff that they do, you're not even going to be able to do. Because you mentioned, you know, as now as a 201, I can go to any state and get it done. That was my goal at the beginning. And I realize now I spent a lot of years jumping around everywhere. And because there was no consistency in the feedback that I was getting from my system, because the terrain would be different. The time of year would be different. The weather would be different. The elk would be different. So I wouldn't be able to tell is my lack of success or success because of what I'm doing or because of these different circumstances. So I think it's important to highlight the things we need to do to become the 201 and then the things that we, we can then do as the 201. So, and and this is a question, do you think it makes more sense at that kind of like transition phase for us to like find areas and stick to them at least until we like figure out what we're going to do or are we better off exposing ourselves to different circumstances? So I want to answer that and and to, to, to lay on your analogy and this will they'll tie together, but so Ryan Lampers, you know, he, he likes to go in the backcountry. He goes super deep. He outworks everyone. Yeah. But what you don't recognize from that is that he has the skills and capability to basically kill any animal he stalks, right? So he's a one-stock dude. He kills stuff. That's what he does. He knows he has the gut intuition to know when to make that strike and when not to. I'm just going to go on a limb and say, we don't, right? Like, like just like, we're yep. going to fail a bunch of times. So he could work his face off, get to a place where he has one opportunity and it's going to make it count. So then you have the people that are like, ah, this is what Lampers does. I will try that too. And yes. then he goes in the back country and they like, they get one opportunity, they screw it up. And then, you know, they don't learn from that. They don't even know, right. they don't have the feedback, feedback loop. Similarly, as I think about, you know, systems and whatnot, I think about like, okay, first and foremost, the one-on-one hunter, he's tying everything together. He's, he's like, I'm going to go to the spot I know, and I'm going to just go hunt elk. Right. He's just like, he's 
he's not breaking them into pieces, right? And so like, if I take this complex problem of like, I need to kill an elk and I break it in, in, in my system, I, you know, I break it into like four tiers. And so I take like, there's e-scouting and then there's finding elk and then there's getting close to elk. And then there's like how to, how to get, how to kill elk without getting lucky. And these are the four core parts of like what I would say like is the system. Right. And so by separating them, you need to be able to like to find elk, right? Like that is a huge piece of it and separate that from actually hunting or trying to kill elk, which is, you know, like most people are like going out and they don't know if there's elk there or not. So they're just like calling and do these things. And so it's a, kind of like an amateur. You're just not covering enough ground. You know, if I was to go somewhere, it would just look like I, my job, my only sole job is to find elk, right? Like I'm covering as much ground. I'm like, I don't care if I bump elk, I need to find elk. Yeah. And so like by breaking these down, you kind of get into this, like, okay, let's break the, this complex problem down and like have four different like microsystems within that. And they have different importances that we can weigh them on. Right. And so it's kind of like, you know, just taking this complex problem and we could use the business analogy, but like, it's just, it's simple. Like, and again, nobody likes to hear this simple answer, but it's like, I just break this down into very small chunks. How do I solve this problem? How do I solve this problem? So to answer your question about like, oh, is it better to hunt the same spot or hunt new spots? In some ways, so in different pieces of that, I do think it is better to hunt the same spot. If you're consistently getting into elk, that's super important, right? Like you need to learn those things. You need to learn those skills of getting close to elk means. But at the same time, I watch so many people hunt shitty areas and like, that's just what they know. And they spend years hunting these areas where they're not getting those at bats. So we talk about getting at bats. Like it goes back to your statement of like, if I only had eight days to hunt per year, my at bats are real low. And so like I was able for since probably since 2006, I've hunted close to 30 days of every bow season. And so like the at bat numbers are so high. Like I just know what's going to happen. And so like, to me, it's like, I prioritize the at bats. I think that's more important. than. No, I like, I like where you're going with this. And in my world, I call these reps. Like you've got to get in reps, no matter what it is, building business, building muscle, learning how to hunt. And I think the takeaway here is, and I love the way that you're approaching this, the way they should be thinking about this is how can I get as many at bats or reps as possible? Like I have people hitting me up this year who like got their first response to a bugle. And I'm like, you don't know how huge that is. Like you're going to chalk this year up as a win. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, okay, nothing died. Fair enough. But if there's like a linear progression into what you got to do, you know what I mean? In order to put one on the ground, like that is a major. So you recognized, you know, what it was. The other thing that I find very interesting. I killed my elk this year, probably 150 kilometers. It's the same general region from where I killed my elk last year. Like us in BC would all consider that kind of the same, you know, chunk of ground, same type of timber and stuff. But by being able to have success in two different areas within the kind of same ecosystem, the confidence I feel going back to year three is like 10x the confidence I had in, into going year two. I got so many more spots now. I got stuff where I heard bugles. I got stuff where I bumped elk. And so I think too, going back to the same spot doesn't necessarily mean like the exact same spot, but like a place where you're going to encounter similar things so that when you do start to have success, you can start to extract similarities. Like, okay, there was success over here and there was success over there. What's similar? Like, what did I do similarly? What did, what was the terrain like? Like what kind of things can I start to, you know, intuition 
is just pattern recognition. And the more inputs we can add into our little mental database, the better our intuition gets because the better we get at recognizing patterns. So I think until you have those schemas or those like those abilities to recognize, you can't be the Lampers. Lampers can go someplace he's never been in his life. His intuition is so strong because he's had so many at-bats and he's seen so many patterns that he can just apply it in these novel mm-hmm. situations where guys like myself, I'm just not there yet. I need something similar or a bit of luck if I'm in a completely new area. And I think this is where hunting the same spot reduces your inputs, right? It's the same put over input over and over. And that's not yeah. necessarily a good thing. So if we break in, let's just take the two main pieces of like a system, which is like finding elk and getting, and then like getting close to elk. I break those into very different things. And like, those are different skill sets. They're different at bats, right? Like right. you have to learn how to find elk. Like I, you know, if you, if you can just show up and like you find elk, like that is a skill, right? So treat those separately. And then we treat like, okay, how do I get close to elk? Right. And like, that's an entirely new skill, entirely different skill. And it's also like, I don't want to say it's like, it's most people don't get those at best. They don't get those reps. And so, you know, when I say, you know, I, I like to say like the best hunt you could possibly do if you really want to be great on a long-term scale is go do spike hunts in Utah because what it does is gives you so many at-bats at that getting close stage. It's like if you just went to Utah and you spike hunted and you just tried to get close to the lead cow, like at 301 level, all we do is try to get close to the cow, right? Like that's all I'm doing. The bull almost doesn't matter. And so like if I can develop this skill of getting close, learning that that body language, learning what it looks like in the red zone. Like the, most people get into the red zone of elk. They get within, let's say 50 yards of elk once or twice a year. Like if you were able to do that 10 to 20 times a year, your, your learning curve goes exponential. Right. And so then it's like, these are the two things that are like finding elk and getting close to elk. Those are the two skill sets. Maybe those are on different hunts. Whereas like, you know, if I'm in a premier unit in Utah, like finding out doesn't become that difficult. So like hunting these ones is like, I I do these difficult hunts in Idaho where it's like, man, I have to search the entire unit to find elk. This is a new skill, right? Like, so I I just look at like increasing the skill sets like that become or create the the great hunter. Right. And there's a bunch of nuance on those are kind of like the obvious ones, but there's a bunch of nuance, as you know, like the more you do this, the more you're like, man, there's a whole bunch of skill sets in this. So this is very interesting because I was lucky enough to draw a premium tag in New Mexico in 2019. And I went down and I was successful and I'm like, okay, now I can be that guy. And I realized now I did not have to develop any finding the elk experience. (laughs) Like the elk were just everywhere. You just throw a rock, you'll hit an elk. You know, the other thing that I, I never realized until just this moment I've killed three elk with my bow. Every single one of them has been a satellite bull alone. So I have never yet had to be in that. So I bet you there's a whole new learning curve for me there. Like now that I'm getting better at finding them, I'm going to, and I'm going to want to start to target a herd bull. I'm going to, that's going to be a whole new phase of getting my ass kicked where it's like, okay, I knew how to kill these guys when they were by themselves and willing to walk over. But now I got a whole new host of problems that I need to learn how to solve if I want to get, you know, closer to those bigger ones or yeah. And there's an interesting case study. Um, I forget the book. Uh, maybe I can Google it afterwards, but there's a reference to kids that are good at math 
tend to just stick with math. And this is very true that um, like, say you, you find a subject that you're good at in elementary school and you like naturally progress towards it. Right. And so like yep. you keep doing the thing that feels makes good. You successful, feels good. Right. Yeah. There's a positive return. Right. And so what happens is we keep doing those same things. And I think this, this is where it gets difficult. And for me at my level, it's like, I keep pushing myself out of that. And you know, there's the self-doubt creeps in all these things because you go try something new and you suck at it. And then what, what do you do? You're like, ah, I go back. Yeah. Right. And so like, that's, that's a difficult thing. And so I do think that there's a ton of people who, you know, they find success in, let's just say like, man, I know if I go in and I cow call a bull's going to come in. Well, you know, what happens is like, it's a repeat of the same success. So we tend to just get these same style of bulls. Like I could go and cow call. I just have that gut intuition. I have enough in like enough reps to say, Ooh, this area looks like if I cow call an elk will come in and it's probably going to be a small bull. Right. Yep. And so like it, you develop that, you're like, Oh, that works. But then you have to change that skill set to, to, to graduate to the next level. You want to kill six points every year. Like you kind of got to do something different. Just, doing soft cow calls and areas, you know, maybe that gets some raghorns and some spikes, but now I have to do something different to get that six point to come in. And, you know, the same, this, it's just, the cycle continues and you kind of repeat different skills or learn different skills. And so like, that's what I love about it. Um, and so I, when I think about that, you know, these are like the systems that you have to create, you have to you know execute and go graduate to the next level. I think there's, dude, the confidence thing is so underrated. And we were kind of talking about this before the podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like to a lot of motocross, a lot of motocross and, and it's so evident within motocross how, you know, this is a person that has the same skill they had yesterday. Uh, maybe it's the same skill before an injury and like, they're just falling on their face. A great example in the lights division, there's this kid named Levi kitchen. Uh, he's a Pacific Northwest kid. He's out of Washougal. And, uh, you know, some days he'll get 11th and some days he'll get first. If he, if he gets a whole shot, he's, he can outrun anyone, but at the same time, if he doesn't, then he's just like in his own head. And I watch this and I see it. I even see it within myself, which, you know, like, I'm not too proud to admit like, man, I struggle with this. And I thought about this. So for those, you know, my journey, I, you know, killed, I really wanted to hunt big bulls. I've always just absolutely love big bulls. I do still this day, love big bulls. And I was like, I want to be one of these guys that kills 350 bulls. You know, so I set out and I'm like, I'm going to kill 350 bulls. I'm in Montana and I'm in, I had a lot of close opportunities. And like, I just could never seal the deal. Right. And missed a good bull in 2020, like just absolute, you know, should have, could have, would have. And like, slowly I start to see my confidence wane. So I have my own, like I could go kill six points. I have a stack of six points. And I created, it's like, I know how to do that, but I wanted to learn this next skill. Right. And so I went and I had unsuccessful, unsuccessful. And all of a sudden it was like, I, at the end of last year, I was like, man, my confidence is like in the tank. I need to just put a milk down and do the thing. And a part of me has never really wanted, I say kill bulls for Instagram, you know, like, like to each their own, but I just never wanted to be that guy that just shot up bulls to be successful, to prove to people that I can do it. I just like, it's not me. And I've like been heavily against that. But this year I was like, okay, I'm not going to be picky. I don't have a ton of time. Uh, I don't have 30 days like normal. Uh, so I'm going to like go out and I need that confidence. I need to win. You know, look at, if you were training a motocross person and they came back from energy, you'd say, you know, just go out and get some wins, like get some laps, get the lap, get back in that rhythm. Right. So I go out this year and this was my goal. I was like, I'm just going to shoot a good bowl. That's all I want to do. And with that comes a different tactic. So in the last couple of years, I've really been focused on big bulls. And in 2019, I killed what most would call a great bull. It's a good bull, 
But one of my mentors who kills absolute giants, you know, he told me as soon as it happened, he's like, yeah, that's why, you know, that's why I don't go in there. He goes, cause you'll make a a split decision on a bull. That's like, you know, not what you wanted and everyone's different. Right. Like, but this is great advice from one of the masters. Right. And I was like, yeah, I get it now. And so I would never go in close to elk. I never really for like 2020, 21, 22, I kind of stopped calling. This was my game for a long time, but I stopped calling and I hunted the way he hunted. And I I think I had lost a lot of my confidence because I was like, I call bulls. I know how to call bulls. And this is what I do. Well, you know, then I start not having success and like slowly, like trying to do a stock game, trying to learn this skill, but it's like, man, I was just, I was away from it. And so this year I was like, I need to just go kill a good bull. And I went in first day or second day on a situation I never would have done in the last couple of years. I literally go in some bulls bugled, they're moving away. And I was like, normally you, I would never go in there because like, you don't want to make a mistake. I was like, you know what? I just don't really care. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to call. And I went in and uh, first set up, I call in this uh, seven by, he broke off his whole main babes. It was like a seven by one. And he came flying in and it was like the confidence surged back. Dude, it was like, I got this. I still got it. You know, and it was like that mental game. I watched it happen and I was like so stoked. I was like, yeah, I still got this. I still got this. And my confidence surges up. Well, the next day I turn up a, a big bull, a giant, right? And I'm like, one of the approaches I think that I was screwing up was the lack of confidence. Like, and not even a lack of confidence. It was the a little bit timid. I would treat big bulls like big bulls. And so I noticed that I was doing things different. I was like, every time I stop hunting big bulls and I say the next bull dies, it like, I just go kill it. And it's that pure confidence. Right. Yeah. So I see this, find this big bull and I'm like, I'm treating this like it's a run of the mill, 300 inch six point. I'm going to go kill that bull. This bull's dead. He's dead. I'm just like, I have the confidence. Boom. I slip in and, uh, everything went in my favor. I talked about this on my podcast. Uh, so I won't bore people, but like everything worked in my favor almost too well. I range it and I miss, like I miss uh, for the record. I, oh. I hit exactly where I ranged, but I missed a great opportunity. And it was just like devastated, dude. I was like this, I've been looking for this bull for four years. I've been waiting for this opportunity for four years. And I, like, it was just like, the wheels came off, dude. All like your the- doubts just became true. Every negative thing oh, you thought is dude. just a fact now. <laughs> dude, I am the biggest POS. Like, yep. I don't deserve it. Yep. Yeah. And like, I was like, no pity parties. Like, you know, trying to do the Tiger Woods quote, you're only good as your last shot. You know, like all these things. And like, just for a whole day, dude, I was like in, I was like, you know, like just, yes. I, I'm mentally tough, but like, here I am just like, I'm crumbling you know in the yeah. whole of course the next day i don't see anything yep, like everything yep. disappeared that i was on. i was like of course you know this is how it works out yeah and so like you slowly come apart and it was like i had to really just take a check and be like i'm gonna go call in a five point like i just like that was the goal today i'm starting in a win right like because i got i called in that seven point and i was on cloud nine i was like let's go call in the next bull like i'm not gonna shoot it but i'm gonna call in a bull and yep. i did that and like slowly the confidence comes back but I will tell you, like, even up until I shot my bull, it was like, I could, I could visually see the confidence waning in my, my game. And I'm like, I know what's happening, but I am not controlling it. That is an interesting thing. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So there's, there's two things I want to highlight here. And first we're going to, we're going to back up a book a bit. There's an, uh, have you ever read what got you here from Marshall Goldsmith? 
Yeah. So for, get you there. Yeah. For, for people listening, there's a book by Marshall Goldsmith. He's a, a famous kind of executive coach called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And, and he breaks down 20 successful habits. I think he did a bunch of interviews with um, uh, really you know hyper successful executives. And he basically highlights this fact that like what you did to get here got you here. And that's, and if you keep doing that, you're going to stay here. And so to get to that next level, you have to, you have to look at that next set of activities and habits that you need to build and execute on in order to transition. So if there's another kind of highlight to make, it is this, is this, I think when we become a successful 101 hunter, there's a comfort in it. And I bet you, if you interviewed people and did like, you know, some ethnographic research, you would see that there's this lull. I bet you people are like up, 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 up. And then I hit what most people would recognize as a successful 101 hunter. And to the lay person, you're now a hunter. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I think that feels good. And I bet you we hang out there for a little while because we want to feel good. I was just doing this work for this client and I discovered this really interesting piece of research. So they were studying active learning versus passive learning. So passive learning being like a lecture or an online course, you sit down, you absorb information, active learning being some type of, of project or problem solving or group work. Like you're given a little bit of information and then you're faced with a problem and you have to solve the problem real time. And then they surveyed people about the quality of those experiences and how much they perceived the quality of the learning. People in passive learning environments report higher levels of learning than people in active learning environments. But when you test them, people in active learning environments outperform people in passive learning environments. Active learning is uncomfortable. When we are uncomfortable, we think we're doing poorly. We don't like feeling like we're doing poorly, so we shy away. And you touched on this earlier. To get out of your comfort zone is exactly that, uncomfortable. Now I now I actually have legitimate peer-reviewed research as to like why that is. So I think people need to start to take souling. Like if I am uncomfortable in what I am doing, assure yourself that that's exactly where you should be. Because if you were comfortable, you're not learning as much as you can. You're in that passive, you're doing the online MOOC, the, you know, the Coursera course or whatever it is. You're not, and that would be the difference between, and I think your course is great, Corey's course, like I think those are great foundations, but if we don't put ourselves out there in order to get the reps and get the at-bats, like that's the active problem-solving opportunities that we have in hunting. And those are the ones that make us feel worse. We feel great. This is my big kick on like why everybody forces, focuses on fitness in hunting. Like who gives a shit how many burpees you can do? It's because it feels good. You know what I mean? Like anybody can do a little CrossFit workout and it's like, yeah, I'm practicing for hunting. And it's like, no, you're not. This has nothing to do with what you're actually going to do when you get out there, but it makes me feel good about myself. And so I just continue to waste my time doing shit that It's not going to actually help me kill anything. The next point that I think is really important is this confidence thing. And it was so hilarious because I just spent like an entire half an episode on this. And I highlighted this stretch where I went on six hunts and killed six animals back to back over like an 18 month period. 
And then I hit this dry spell interspersed with like these random lucky kills. And I was like going back and forth. How do I become that guy again that goes out and kills every time? John Danaher, um, a really famous BG, BJJ coach, has this way of, of putting it that confidence comes from stacking up examples of undeniable success. And that the reason that like uh, Gordon Ryan is, 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 is Gordon Ryan um, is that he smashes everybody. So when you smash everybody, you get to believe you're a guy who can smash everybody. But just like we were talking about, looking at what the two, uh, who the 201 guy is doesn't always tell you how to become the 201 guy. I think the real question is, how do we have confidence when we don't deserve it or we haven't proven that we've earned it? And I think there's the answer to that question is you can't. But I think there's a better question we can ask which is how do we behave like a guy with confidence so that we get the results of a guy with confidence? Because I think there's two ways of perceiving the outcomes of confidence, confident people. One way is this ethereal kind of woo-woo, I put out confident energy and the world just comes to me. And if that's actually how things work, you're screwed. You can't do anything until you have legitimate confidence. However, I believe confident people behave differently. And I think it might even be down to the micro actions, but I think the behaviors and the attitudes and the actions that they execute are fundamentally different than people who lack confidence. And a lot of people use the term fake it till you make it. I don't really like it because that has this inherent negative connotation that you're somehow a, a, a poser. I in turn say act as if. So for instance, on the whole hunt that I just, and we were talking about this earlier, that I got on, I just kept saying, because I want to be the guy who has confidence that he's going to kill, but I honestly am not. I'm In my head, I'm doubting. Every morning I wake up, it's like a, a doubt and a wish on a wind. You know, like, I don't know, man. But I can say, every time I'm in a situation, how would that guy with confidence act right now? And then I can pretend I'm that guy and if I can pretend I'm that guy for long enough, closely enough, I think I'll actually become that guy. And I can tell you, I'm heading to Colorado um, at the end of the month, and I feel more confident I'm coming home with some meat in my cooler than I have in years, man. And I've never been to Colorado in my life. You know what I mean? Like, there's no rational reason for me to have that. Well, the rational reason is I did just stack up some success, but... There's no reason that I should feel particularly comfortable about this animal in that unit in that state. Like I don't have the the evidence to support that belief. So I think, and there's tons of other tactics, but that's one tactic I would put out on the table. If you want to be that confident guy, but you don't feel you deserve to be that confident guy, or you haven't stacked up the evidence, try and behave like that confidence guy, confident guy, even though you're not. So I think I a hundred percent agree with you. Like it's, it's a matter of, I, I, I do hate the term faking until you make it. Like, it's like, how do you, how do, how do people like this act? And in the entrepreneurial world, you know, a lot of people will say like, there's a dream board and you, you, you put out anything you want on the dream board, you know, like say, I don't know, say you want a Lamborghini. And then all of a sudden you start to act like the person who would own a Lamborghini, right? Like it's like a little bit of that is woo woo and manifesting, but a lot of it is here's the actions that it takes if I was such, 
So I think there's like parallels. <laughs> and I do think that when you get into the hunting side of it, a lot of it is like, to me, it's like, I, there's a, a line uh, in the core or on the page, the sales page of the course, it says like, you know, this will make you better, uh, guaranteed to make you better. Right. And people are like, well, how can you guarantee to make you better? It's a little bit of a kind of a clickbaiting line, but it's very true that like, once you have a system, you start to see the world as like, okay, here's what I need to be doing. Right. And so much of it is like, I just don't know what I should be doing. And I've been there you go on a hunt and you're like, I don't know what to do next. All my plans failed. I don't know what to do. And so much of failure isn't necessarily failure. It's like just running out of the options. Right. right. And I think once you develop a system and you're like, okay, if then, if this, then this, all of a sudden, just that simple, if this, then that framework changes everything because now I know what to do. Like I just, okay. If I don't have elk, I have to get farther back. Right. Like I just have to like, look at the bigger picture. And this is like, I hate to say like, it's so simple, but it's like the everything, you know, it's just, and I know it's like, you're looking for some secret answer on how to kill out, but it's like, I just, I, I have constantly more plans. I have constantly to be able to look at a situation and go like, okay, here's what we do. Here's what we do. And a lot of that is from time tested, like having to go through this, having to find out. Right. But like yeah. so much of it is like, if you just act like that, you're like, okay, what would I, what should I do now? I think so much success is when people run out of, they don't know what to do next. And it's hard. That's some of that's confidence. Some of that's just fatigue. Some of that's mental toughness, but a lot of it is just like I, your brain is fried. You're, you're mentally fatigued. You're physically fatigued. You're just like, you don't know how to make another good decision. And I think that's the difference is like, to me, it's like, how do I make this so simple that it's inputs and outputs? How do I dissect it into inputs and outputs that I can do on my hunt? Right? Like, if I run out of elk, what do I do? Right. Instead of like just hitting that wall of, I don't know what to do. I should quit or I should go home or whatever. It's like, Oh, I do this. This is my plan. You know, you, in the military, they teach a lot of like, you know, you, you, you fall back to your weakest link. You fall back to your training. Right? right. And so like, if you train consistently to where it's muscle memory, you're constantly like, you, you never, you never fail. Essentially. You're just like, you're, you're constantly doing this. And so in the same way I look at uh, is in hunting is like, okay, how do I say I had a deer hunt in Colorado? How do I go to Colorado? And like my job right now is to find out what is my system for or deer? How do I find deer? Like, what do I need to do? If this, then that, if this, then that I just, it's the inputs, right? I just constantly do the right things. And similarly in elk hunting, it's like, I know if I set up a number of setups, let's say 20, maybe it's a hundred setups. It could be wrong. I know that if I set up a hundred times, I'm going to call an elk. So then I just know I need to, like, I'm only set up three times. I, I still got 97 more to go, yeah. you know? And so it's like these constant, like inputs equal outputs. And you're like, you know, that like, if you, you know, cover enough ground, you, you go to a hundred glassing spots, you're going to find a four point. Yeah. Well, now you just have to hit a hundred glassing spots, you know? And like, so it's like the simple, like taking a little bit of that doubt out of it to know like, oh, it's just repetition. It's just repetition. I think when you look at the world as like, I'm trying to get lucky. And this is kind of a one-on-one -on -one mindset thing. It's like, when you look at the world as like, ah, I hope I hit the right spot. Right? I hope I, you know, get lucky. A deer stumbles in front of me. So much of that is like, it's just, you know, it's the wrong approach in business. And, you know, lifting is probably a great example. Like, you know, that if you do this enough times, like, here's yeah. what you get. It's inputs equal outputs. If you train every single day and you eat the right things, like this is what happens. Like it's it's not some like I hope I get big. Like it's yeah. just like you know. 
there's confidence in that system, right? Like it's a micro, it's not like it's a micro confidence, if you will. It's not everything. And I get like, I still struggle with a lot of the macro, but it's like, if you just focus on, let's say you're shooting, if you're the best shot you can be, then you're going to have confidence in that. Right. And back to the fitness thing, like if you're confident in your physique or in your fitness and you're confident in your shooting, like those are controllables, right? We tend to focus on those things. You know, guys like to focus on gear. They you know, stress about that. So controlling- Tell me all, about it, making a living off it. <laughs> controlling all the variables that we can control is a version. So if I've never killed anything in my entire life and I have extreme confidence in those, and like, I don't think it's enough just to have confidence in, in those things. And I know I'm going in, say, at bats. I'm just trying to get like enough- I'm trying to get a bugle, right? I'm just like, that's the one thing I'm looking for. Or like pick out the metric. You have to choose a smaller metric. So if I was to go into business and say like, oh, I want to build a billion dollar brand. And then everything under that is unsuccessful, right? You're like, well, that's silly. But if I go in and say like, hey, I just I just want to get one comment on my YouTube channel. Yep. And you start there, boom, success. These are micro successes. You're kind of tricking yourself into like this confidence a little bit, but in the in some way you have to set that bar low. So you're like, ah, confidence, ah, confidence. Same as me. Like I've done this a lot and I'm like, I'm going to go call on a five point. That's a low barrier for me. And so I'm like yeah. back to confidence. So it's like, how do you rebuild that confidence? There's so much, there's so much gold in there. And I want to say something that's going to be kind of counterintuitive. Placing yourself in a decision where you need to, placing yourself in a situation where you need to make a decision should be reduced to as few times as possible. So our brains are highly calorically driven. They, they're 20% of our, of our body mass and require 80% of the calories that we burn. So every time we think it requires energy, and I could get into like system one and system two and a bunch of deep gnarly shit, we don't need to do that. But you want to keep the act of decision-making to a minimum. And how somebody does that at my level compared to how somebody does that at Lamper's level is two completely different processes. He mm-hmm. can do it because he's built so much, he's seen so many patterns and he has all that intuition. He's not making active decisions. All those things, you, the decisions you think he are ma- he's making... Those are like rapid fire, acting on gut, not really thinking about it, just responding to the environment. He's not sitting at the trailhead in the truck, you know, looking at the phone for an hour. And so a real practical example, and the way I do it or the way somebody at my level do it, we have to solve that problem with systems. So I want to give a very concrete example from this last hunt. I had almost five days worth of spots pre-mapped. And I mean like morning and afternoon spots. I had them ranked. I had them all mapped out. I had trails. I had walking routes planned. So if I got to one and there was somebody sitting at that trailhead or if there was another truck in my, it wasn't, I didn't think. I just went to the next one on the list. My takeaway still wasn't enough. Ran out on day three, went through five days of spots and three days worth of stuff. (laughs) And I probably burnt two hours in a truck. Like my brain shut off. I'm not that guy. I don't wallow in self-pity. I don't like, I act. That's who I am. But on day three of an elk hunt, when you're putting on 10, 15 miles a day, you're, you're consistently facing a lack of success. Your doubt starts to creep in. And now I got no spots left. 
And now I'm like, now I'm wasting time. Now I'm paralyzed. Now I don't know what I'm going to do. So the takeaway for me was system works, but it wasn't developed enough. So how am I going to change that for Colorado? If I'm going for 10 days, I'm going to have 15 days worth of spots because it's looking to be about 33% more spots than days are required because shit's going to happen. People are going to be at trailheads. Roads are going to be closed. Weather's going to shut shit down. You're going to run into somebody and they're going to tell you, oh, I just came from that area. It's no good. Like all these things are, are going to happen. I think the other tactic that I've started employing more recently is... And this comes to your finding your elk before hunting the elk. And I always said it like this. You need to find the elk before you hunt an elk. And early in my career, I was hunting from the moment I got out of the truck. And I'm covering 10% of the ground I can. I'm thinking there's an elk around every corner. And it's like, I did learn that one when I switched to bivy hunting for elk, like crush ground, find it. I'm actually now taking that back out to the macro. And it's like, the reason a guy like Lampers can go into one drainage and hang out there for a day and kill something is because, again, he's been to so many drainages in so many different places. He doesn't need to bounce around 400 times. We do. I do. Mm-hmm. And so when I go to Colorado, it's like back of the truck, first four or five days, there will be no tents will be coming out anywhere. I will be, I won't even let myself put a tent in the backpack. I won't let myself put more than a half day of food in the backpack because I know if I do, I'm comfortable in the backcountry. Like that's my superpower as a hunter with all my years of engineering. It feels good to me to put 12 days worth of gear on my back and head off into nowhere because I know I'm good at that. It doesn't produce dead animals for me yet. <laughs> and so I will be sleeping in the back of the truck. I will be hiking in at dark every And this is what I did on the elk hunt. And you know, it led to me covering enough ground and exhausting enough resources that I was able with help to put one on the ground. But that's another tactic that I would say for that transition hunter, when you're thinking of covering enough ground, you need to think like unit wide. You know, Barclow said something when I had on, he goes, I don't even blink if I get back to the truck and drive 50 miles. Like if there's, if I'm not finding what I'm looking for immediately, I go and I go and I go and I go until I find it. And I think that that has proved very beneficial to me. And that's another reason why I think I feel good about this hunt is that I feel like I'm going armed with actual tactics and systems, not just, well, I'm going to pack 10 days worth of food in the truck and hopefully I turn up a buck and then just see what happens. And there's like, I mean, there's, it's a pendulum. Everyone wants to say, what's the secret, but everything, everything always is a pendulum. Like it swings and there's like, there's a a happy medium. Right. And we talk about like, what's, what's the benefit of being 12 miles in? Well, in theory, less people, you know, like let's just say let's being remote equals less people. Sometimes that's, that's a benefit. Right. And the pendulum on the other side is that I get to cover more ground. You know, I can see a ton more ground, but there's a lot more people. Right. And so oftentimes you're like, what is the happy medium? How do I find that? You know what I mean? Like, so Colorado's a great example. Is your Colorado hunt a rifle elk hunt? Yeah. Second rifle. I've got a mule deer tag and this is something else. Don't answer it right now because I don't want to derail you, but should I also buy, because I think this is something more experienced hunters do different than less experienced hunters. For now, I have a mule deer tag, Southwest Colorado, second rifle. I can answer both, but you know, 
like you go into like there's a happy medium, right? If you go to Colorado and think you're going to just hike from the truck and kill an elk, you're probably mistaken, right? In some degree, like you still have to find the elk, yeah, which can be done. I mean, I can look a long ways in the spotter. Having said that, like you, there's a happy medium there. Like the point is not that like oh you should only road hunt, right? Or you should only you know horseback in 25 miles. Like those are those are kind of there's a happy medium there. Yeah, and like you always got to find that. And this is like you know the interesting thing going back to like. You're like, man, I had five hunts and I was laughing in my head. As soon as he said that, I was like, hey, you burned through those in a day. Yeah. And the problem is, is that you have to, you have to understand that I don't have all the variables. I have a bunch of variables or I have a bunch of inputs right now, but I don't have all the inputs. And so like, I have to show up and get new inputs. And so like, I, it's not that I, I have every single plan mapped out in my head because I don't have all the inputs yet, but by by knowing that I'm looking for the inputs. Right. And so like, I'm like, okay, let's test this, test these few theories and from there, like, I know that I'm looking for the inputs. And once you know that you should be looking for something and what you're supposed to be looking for and how you can apply it to your system, it changes everything, right? Like, right. you know, this is something people do, but they don't really consciously think about it. Like right? you go somewhere and like, oh, well, I, you know, I saw some deer here and like, but now that you know, and you're looking for those inputs, you're like, you ask the questions who, what, and why, right? And so like, I go into this and I say like, oh, we saw deer here. Why? Uh, was it this vegetation? Was it this proximity from trailheads? Like all these inputs that you now have, now I can go back and, and re redesign that. Like, how do I get away from people? How do I get away? How do I get into animals? You know, like you're, you're trying to refocus this. So it's not that you're going to try to plan every single thing out. It's that you go in knowing I'm looking for certain inputs and I'm testing some theories. You do want a whole bunch of theories because you're going to burn through them. You know, you want a bunch of hypotheses to test but at the end of the day, you still need other inputs once you show up. I'm right, taking all right. that data. For example, I had I had tons of plans going into this elk season. I show up, everything's different. But I'm I'm used to that. I know that's going to happen, right? So what do I do? I scoot back, and I'm like, I just I gotta see. I gotta see the whole mountain at once, you know. And it's so like it's so funny to me because I watch all these people drive around. They're you know they're going here, they're going there, and they're going to be there at this certain time. And like I all I had to do is take one evening off and sit back and watch the world and actually drive, drive around in kind of a couple of different places. But it all of a sudden was like, ah, they're here. And then I have to like apply why, you know, why are they here? And then like, okay, how can I apply that to other places? Right. And so like, if I was only to say, I'm going to plan all my 30 hunts, I may be so focused in on that plan. You know, we talk about this in business plans. People get so focused in on business plans that they forget to like look for opportunities. And hunting can be the same way. Like we go in, we're like, this is the plan. I'm going in 12 right. miles. We get there and we, man, we committed to 12 miles. So now we're going to like, we're going to, we're going to turn up an elk damn to be us all. Yeah. And so like, they just stick it out. Right. And so like, you have to have, you have to have these plans, but you also have to have your eyes open to opportunities in your peripherals. And I think that's super important. So like when I, and this, uh, to, to answer your question about like, I never, I shouldn't say I never, I have one core focus and usually it's like elk. And so it's like, do you buy a deer tag? I tend to lean on no. I don't like you. I don't even like having antelope tags when I'm elk hunting because it's like right. I don't need a distraction. Sometimes if I have, if I go deer hunting, no, I'll buy an elk tag. So I can't say that it's like oh, you know whatever. Uh, I'm going against my own word here. The thing is, like I think um, if you focus on too many goals, you'll hit none, and right. that you know that can be very true. Uh, it's easy to get distracted. You're on elk hunt, you're like oh deer, and you go over here and spend a day or two, and you're like oh man, I just lost two or three days. Like it's a lot half my hunt. Yeah. Uh, and so those, those can kind of be a distraction. I think it's important to stay focused to each their own. Like if you just like want to go in the woods and you know, everyone has their own 
version of success. So that be said, but I, if I don't you were to... looking to kill a big buck and it doesn't have to be like, you know, Boone or Pope, but if your focus is like, I want to come home with a respectable, mature mule deer, you would tell that person going to the woods. Buy no tag. The other thing that I'm realizing now with my research is like the elk and the deer are not in the same place in this unit. Almost like it's never. very <laughs> specific where the elk tend to hang out. And it's like, yeah. it's a completely different hunt than what the deer hunt. At, when I first started, you know, planning for this hunt, I thought it was, they were all going to be like mixed and mingled. And I'm like, well, what if I run across one? And it's like, based on my research up to, I'm like, I'm not going to randomly accidentally run across an elk. If I'm where the deer are reportedly known to be. What happens though, is I get this all the time with guys in Montana, because Montana, generally speaking, you get this general tag and you can do both. And what happens is you compensate one or the other and you tend to compensate both. So guys will be like, uh, all the time, I out of state or buddies who were like, yeah, I want to come out. Where could I go? That I might shoot a deer too. I'm like, well, those are just crappy deer and crappy. <laughs> right. Right. So, yeah. Com- I, re- I love this quote. Compromising is just two people agreeing to lose. Yes. And it's like, yeah, I can give you a shitty plan for both. Yeah. Yeah. No problem, man. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's hilarious. <laughs> so like be, be cognizant of that. I get, everyone has their own hunt. So I, I want to preface that. But, you know, going into something like Colorado, you know, I, like one big thing I want to say is like, definitely you have to understand that variables are going to change. Things are going to change. Inputs are going to change. Right. Um, the goal is not to plan everything out to where you don't have to think. And this is, it's just like to have the frameworks to be able to create the plans on the go and to be able to like, look for the inputs that are going to create those new plans. So, you know, constantly we go through plans and then we just get burnt out. Like, ah, I didn't, you know, I didn't figure it out or I didn't. I wasn't successful or I don't know what to do next. Right. And so like the ability to make on the fly plans is a really good skill set. Like that's a great skill set. Right. In order to have that skill set, you almost have to be looking for that. You have to be like, okay, what is, what is changing? What do I know now that I didn't know yesterday? Yep. I do like that. Rigidity tends to be a bad thing. Not always, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you do have to, to be and I, another takeaway I'm 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 getting from this conversation is like the recipe is nuance. Like we can say do this, do that all day, but like you were saying earlier, all of these things exist on a spectrum, and I think it's mm-hmm. important to like build skill sets and have systems, but then be somebody who can adapt when new inputs. Like oh, I can't remember what it was. There's a difference between complicated and complex. Like complicated is not good. Complex is when we're referring to like business systems, because a complex system is something that can take a variety of variables as input and then like update as it goes and create new outputs in response. And I think that's one of my takeaways that I'm, that I'm getting from this conversation is that I think the systems are simpler when we're in one-on-one. They're a little more black and white. They're a little more like, do this, get that. And I think as we graduate more to the 201 level, I think, again, we're, we're seeing more patterns. So our own intuition should be getting a little bit better. And I think it's good to have the backstop of the systems. I think it's good to have a couple more days plans than you need to run into, but you also need to recognize don't just stay attached to those systems if they're not producing the results or if you see new inputs coming in that change the equation for you. And if you take it to the business analogy, 
<clears throat> the difference between building a hundred million dollar business and a million dollar business and you know maybe a ten million dollar business, like they're roughly the same. It's just like applied better. Like it's right. applied discipline to all of these things, right? Um, a little bit wider. But at the same time, you know, if I look at like the 301 level hunters, this may surprise a lot of people, but none of them are backcountry hunters. You know, like none of them are doing that. Like it's it's a it's a wit thing. Like if I was, you know, I don't know these guys, but like, I don't know, a Mossback or uh, A3 or one of these guys, like it's just applying the same principles to a wider area, right? Like they, they're just covering, there are more people covering more ground, right? Yeah. And like, that's all it, like, it's just a finding game of essentially getting close and killing big bull is not that much different. Realistically, it's, it takes a lot more bandwidth to find them, right? Like, it's like, okay, I want to find a 200 inch buck. Well, I just cover instead of a hundred glassing spots. Now I need a thousand glasses, you know, like roughly speaking, right. Or it's a number of hours. So it's like, it's just a, a width problem. And once you realize that you're like, okay, how do I operate at that level? So going back to like, you know, what would I do if I was a successful hunter? You're like, you're just increasing your width, right? It has nothing to do with some special spot or some special technique. It's all about like, how do I how do I cover more width? Like, how do I cover more ground? Now choosing the ground that matters, but at the same time, like it's just, I need to cover more ground. I need to like see more, um, need to be more efficient. A lot of this, like, you know, comes from the efficiency of things. So I talk about being effective versus being efficient. And this is like a Peter Drucker thing. Like, you know, being effective yeah. is doing the right thing. Being efficient is doing the thing you know, well. And yeah. this plays into hunting. Like I could go cover a hundred glassing spots, but if none of them are in elk country, it doesn't really matter. You know, like, or if the so way I, I glass is shit, right. <laughs> yeah. Or if I leave, you know, I, I could glass for eight hours and I leave 30 minutes before dark and I never saw anything that wasn't the right move. Right. Like that wasn't being effective. Like, yeah, I was, I was being maybe probably not efficient, but like, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a very long time, but I missed that one window that I needed to view. Right. And so like, I think about that as like, okay, doing the right things and doing them efficiently. And this goes into like the phase one, which is the planning. And I'm so big on this because I learned this when I was unlimited sheep hunting and I got great advice um, from the Foss brothers of like, you just have to be so efficient with your time. And it, it's just, it's scaled up on, on how much it matters because like, if you have to climb 4,000 vert and climb back down, every time you choose a glassing spot, all of a sudden you have to choose your routes very, very meticulously. And I think about the same things within hunting. And I used to like, just bounce all over, like, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go here. And you spend hours and hours driving, but it's like, okay, how do I make my plans very efficient? So when I get down there, I'm not wasting hours or days driving between spots. I'm like, this is like, go this route, I go this route, I run this ridge, you know, this gives me the ability to go eight miles before I, you know, need to change up or, you know, these type of things. And like, that's how you use that backcountry skill, but in a front country manner is like just being efficient with like, you know what, instead of going here and then driving around and going in there, like, why don't I just go through, you know, something like that, where it's like, how do I be efficient with my time and choose the effective places to be like that matters. And I think that's, again, comes from instinct or it comes from that gut intuition of lots of repetitions. Uh, but at the same time, like there are ways to kind of short circuit that to where it's like, okay, I can, how do I look at my map, look at my plans? How do I be more efficient, more effective? I love this, like this, like the idea of them, like the magic spot or the magic pill, because I think that's something that I was hoping for in the whole one-on-one stage. Um, and I think it's something that those 201 guys don't do. And that's 
they have faith in the system. And so they're behaving like, oh, I just have to keep doing what I'm doing until the system produces what I know it's going to produce because this is what it produces um, every single time. And I think whereas me and my, the, the earlier, I was like, I just need to find the guy I can phone that can give me the spot. And what I realized is like, the spot's not even the spot. The spot was the spot for that guy because he did what he did on that day. Like somebody could give you, I love this quote from uh, this saying from sheep hunting, don't hunt dead sheep because like everybody always wants to know where you killed your sheep. And it's like, there's one thing I can guarantee you about that spot where he killed his sheep. There's one less sheep there. (laughs) That's it. There could only been one in the first place. And so I think this like irrational belief that there's going to be some type of magic pill or magic spot or magic phone call that's just going to then produce results is something that the earlier hunter relies on. And I think the longer we do it and the better we get, we stop doing that. And I think, I think it also impacts how convicted you are to your plan. Because if in the back of your mind, you think there's a lottery ticket and you're just going to win a million dollars, are you really going to be dedicated to your savings plan? Are you really going to be doing those? Are you really going to be glassing as intensely as you could? Because your belief is that there's somehow luck is going to play into this, not my skill and my discipline and my determination is what's going to produce results. You know, what's funny about that is, um, you know, I, I put out this course uh, a year ago and it was all about the system, system, systems. And then we go on this bear hunt last spring and I was like, you know, everything I teach, this is the opposite of like, this is a spot on the map that we're like, ah, but you know, a honey hole and it's way too much work to get there. And we ended up killing a bear and I was, we were hiking out and it was miserable. And I was thinking about this, like there's the honey hole theory. Like everyone has like, oh, they see it on the map. They got to get there. You know, like yeah. it's human. Like we want to explore. We want to like this untold land has, you know, 400 inch bull or a you know, 200 inch buck. And like, we're just convinced of it. Right. And I do think that too many people focus only on honey hole after honey hole. Like they're just bouncing around from luck to luck. Like they're, you know, scratching lottery tickets. Right. But I think it's important to give yourself a, a, a lottery ticket or a honey hole. And I just, man, I obsess over it. And there's, there's things like I got to get there. Right. But I never, I think it's important. It's kind of, I don't know how you feel about cheat days, but like a give yourself that cheat day of like, okay. Here's the honey hole. Like, I'm going to go check it out. Like, and I have, I'll have one, maybe two, but one on every hunt that I'm like, okay, this is that honey hole in the spot. It makes no sense um, from a logistical standpoint, but like, if I get around to it and it works out, that's the one I want to go check out and I'll get, it's like my cheat day. And so like, I've kind of like rolled that back into, it's like, man, I, I do this. I, I can't say I don't. I do think that like having a system, you know, making it repeatable, only focusing on areas where I'm going to be super efficient and can cover, you know, a ton of ground. Like, th- and so much of this really, when it comes to rifle is like, how do I, you know, hit all of these areas with the most efficient way of covering that ground. And, but you know, where's that one honey hole that I'm like, ah, if I hike in there, there's going to be a bigger, because sometimes the honey holes pay out. I just think it's important not to get lost in the honey hole of like constantly one after the other. That's all you do. And I think there's a lot, a lot in the one-on-one level of just like, man, there's this spot I picked out. Like once you start to learn maps, you start to look at maps and you're like, Oh, this is, you know, this is six miles in, this is four miles in. And they don't make sense, but like, you just go check them out. Right. And like you work your your ass off to go hunt this one little Canyon. And I think that's okay. But I think too many people get stuck in that vortex of just a hunting honey hole. So I do give myself one cheat day or one, one, uh, honey hole spot. 
it was funny. I had it on this hunt and I wouldn't even go there on the first couple of days. Like it was like, I was saving it. Do you know what I mean? I was like, cause I, <laughs> I know there was elk in there last year. So I'm just like, and I almost think it, it provides you a sense of relief because if you're, if you're currently experiencing failure in the present, there's like, Oh, but there's still that little nice spot. Like they, they might yeah. turn up there. And I think figuring out ways to like give your mind reprieve so that like there's, there's hope elsewhere, I think is also a positive thing because we don't want to make, we don't want to make it too, um, like live or die on one spot every single time, because I think that gets tough psychologically as well. You know, an interesting thing happened this year on a hunt and actually, um, kind of where I killed my bull, uh, I got into, it was actually where I called that bull. And I said, I told the story. I called in the seven by one and I wasn't going to go back. To Did you just it. say seven by one? Well, he's like the main beam was broke off. So he just okay. had one brow tie left. So All right. I mean, he's, uh, he's a six by seven. I have a trail cam video or photo. So like, I know right. what he is, but the point was that like, uh, there wasn't a ton of elk there last year. I never, got into any, I think I saw a raghorn in there or whatever. Like what I, not somewhere I would normally go. I go there calling it out again, not somewhere I would normally go. And I get down this road of like, okay, there's no elk. And now I'm like, man, what do I do? And I almost left. And I was like, I'm going to go check that spot one more time. And I did. And like, all of a sudden here's a whole huge herd elk that wasn't there you know, before. And so like sometimes it's, you know, just taking this system and kind of going back through it is like, okay. Then some of that was like, I knew there was elk there because I called one in. And so like, there's a new variable, right? So I'm like not giving up on this area. Well, over the next two or three days, all of a sudden, like more elk started to show up in this area. And it was one of those things where it's like, I almost, I would literally like today after this morning, I'm going to go pack up camp and I'm moving. I was going to go do the honey hole thing. Like they had the spot, like it was a big hike in. And, you know, as luck would have it, like I just circled back to that spot and sure enough. And then the, over the next you know couple of days. And so like sometimes, you know, you can circle back to areas. I wouldn't say that they didn't have anything, but like, you're like, okay, I'm gonna go back to this area because there was one thing. Um, and I've done this with deer. Like I've, you know, maybe I saw a little buck, but that's all I saw. And then, you know, I go through my system and like go through all my spots, nothing. I circle back to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into that area one more time just to confirm. And I go in there and it's like, oh, something had changed. Usually it's like, there's one critter there. Maybe I just didn't see everything. Right. And like in my process of covering ground very quickly and looking for new areas, I may have missed something. Right. And so sure. like, let's go back over that. And so like, you know, I don't know if that's contradictory, but like in the same vein, it's like, sometimes you can just repeat your system. Like if you have good spots and that's the thing is like, once you have a bunch of reps, you've done this a bunch of times, you ever experienced, I don't know if you hunted the same spots much, but like you go to one spot and you always see animals from this glassing knob. Well, you always see animals because one time you saw one and then the next time you look yeah. twice as hard and then you, now you created a pattern. So you look three times as hard and all of a sudden, like that's the system. Like going to the restaurant example, if you go to a restaurant, and it's really good. You'll go back like six times and it can be bad every single time, but you'll go because the first time you were, it was good. Right. Scratch that to like, you go to a restaurant it's terrible. You'll never go back. It yeah. is like, you'll never get a second shot. So in your head, like I tend to look for animals. Like I try to treat it. Like I know they're here. I just yeah. am missing them. See, so it's kind of like that high level thing. Because I think there's tactics too, because it's not even just that you have the confidence that you're going to sit in glass longer. It's that you've, 
you've seen where they tend to live on that face. So like you, now you lift your glass and you go right to the little crooks or you go right to that little bedding spot or you, you know, so it's, it's not that animals aren't in other places you're going. It's just maybe you haven't found those spots yet where the animals always tend to hi- hide out. You know what I mean? Um, and coos deers like that in Arizona, man. Like it, it's yeah. like there could be frigging deer everywhere. Do you know what I mean? Um, but knowing those little places where they tend to be is night and day difference. And that's, I mean, that's a super difficult part about being new is like, I just don't know what I don't know. So I go to a glassing spot. I'm like, is there elk here? I don't know. Like I'm not seeing anything. And then I leave, you know, and it's like, I never really found out, you know, pick the best, pick the best place you can and give it the due diligence. Like that's some advice to like, if you're, if you just don't have the gut intuition, give it the due diligence. Like, and I tell people to cover ground, you know, like it's their job, but at the same time, you know, you have to pick a spot. And I think this goes into like pick the best spot possible spot you can for one evening or one morning. And it's right. like, you can cover ground most of the day and you can learn a lot. Maybe you're missing some things. That's okay. In the evening, I want you to see as much as you possibly can. And like when it comes to deer, like if I had a Colorado deer tag, like I want to be as far away as I can. I want to like see as much country as I can. Like I really just want to like, I don't care if I can, it's so far away. I can't even see horns. Like it's two, three miles away. I'm like, okay, deer. Like that's just such a good start. Yeah. Again, confidence. I go in there and now I start looking harder and all these things. And so it's like, just scoot back. When in doubt, scoot back. I love it, man. Such a good conversation. I'm so, hunting season is so good. This helps that there's meat in the freezer and there's some dead shit on the (laughs) ground. But like, I'm, yeah, I'm stoked for the next hunt. And I do feel like my level of self-awareness about these things has changed a lot. And even just engaging like in conversations like this and thinking about my own systems and my own patterns and like what I need to do, um, makes me feel more confidence and it's not that like fake it till you make it confidence. Like I legitimately feel, you know, more confident. Um, all right. I've, I've taken up enough of your time, anything, obviously I'm going to put links to everything in the show notes, but maybe give people a little pitch here about what you got going on and anything they can expect to see coming down the pipe in the near future. I don't have any, I don't have anything I want to, I mean, go out there and have fun, enjoy it. Think about why, you know, think more deeply, um, you know, about the, I say the systems, like just the things you do, the approach you have, why things happen. uh, And, you know, I think enjoy it. I think it's easy to get wrapped up in this, like how to be a better hunter uh, and just obsess over it. But don't forget why you're out there. That's my only two cents. I like that. And so I'm going to throw in a little inspirational thing here too, because I think people, especially myself, get too hard on themselves. And I'm going to do that through a story. So when I first started doing layout engineering, which is essentially walking through the raw mountains, trying to find timber and then develop like road systems and harvesting systems so people can get the wood out. It was my very first day. And my boss was this guy named Les Disher. And I came to find out his nickname was Pissy Disher. Uh, He's just a total asshole. I had a lot of respect for him, but the dude was a dick. There's no two ways about it. And we're walking along and, uh, 
I'm barely hanging on. Like, I think I was hung over. It was, I, he told me in the morning I couldn't smoke and I was still a smoker back then. He's like, you know, it's uh work safe BC allows me to designate uh, if I was a smoke free environment. I'm like, fucking outside, bro. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so it's like going from a smoker and then somebody just tells you for 10 hours, you can't have a cigarette. Just nope. You're like, obviously not, you know, in your, at your best. Right. So anyways, we're walking along and he goes, stop. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, close your eyes. I'm like, this shit's getting weird. And we're in the middle of nowhere. You know what I mean? And he goes, I want you to describe to me the last hundred meters that you walked. I want the rock type, timber type, ecosystem, vegetation, grade, all of it. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I got, I don't know. I got nothing. I literally, my brain had recorded nothing. Now, why was that? Because we have a finite amount of resources at our disposal. And it was like my first day on a new job. I'd been a tree planter for years, but normally you're walking through cut blocks when you're tree planting. So I hadn't walked through like a lot of old growth. It's steep. It's slippery. Um, I'm trying to impress it. What I'm telling you is my mental faculties were maxed out just surviving. There was no bandwidth to record inputs and process extraneous data. So when he said, what do you got? I legitimately had nothing. Now, fast forward a year, he could ask me to stop again and I'll write you a novel on the last hundred meters. I'll tell you what the moss was like, what the grade was, what type of rock and timber and how tall it. And not only will I tell you all that, I didn't have to exert any energy to do it. Like my brain, because now the systems that I had to use to get through my day, walking in the timber, like all that stuff was on autopilot. And I think when we're new to hunting, you're so overwhelmed, especially because backcountry hunting is so sexy and that's what everybody wants to do. But you're so overwhelmed with just existing in this environment that you have nothing left for the actual hunting part. And so if that's where you're at, give yourself permission for that. Like just go out, survive, Try and have a good time. Like you're saying, maybe you see one animal, maybe you got one bugle response, like just stack up a couple of the little wins and give yourself permission and recognize that you can't do it all at once. And once you've got enough reps or at bats of just being out there, then you're going to have the mental capacity to like take in the new variables and the new data and like make game plans and pay attention to all that minutia that the lampers of the world kind of take take for granted. So that would be my little closing. Like it's good to be striving and I love it, but show yourself some love too and be easy on yourself. Have you, um, have you heard the red car theory? I've heard of the blue car theory, but not the red car theory. Well, the blue car theory may be a different one. I don't know. All right. uh, <laughs> so the red car theory goes, you know, like, okay, how many, how many red cars did you pass yesterday? No idea. It's the same concept you were just talking about. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like now I'm going to see red idea. cars all day. Yeah. Now you see red cars and you, you yeah. know, like once you're aware of it, and this is kind of like my entire thing about hunting is like, you know, systems make you better because once you see them, now I can implement everything, you yeah. know? And like, once you understand that, like it's like the simple light switch that's like, okay, you know, this is the system. And like, you can just start applying that and you start seeing it. It's going to make you a better hunter in a far more quick, you know, far shorter timeline because you like recognize the thing. Right. So yeah, that's my, that my two cents. If I, if I had to give a pitch, like go check out the Elkhart podcast. I do all my 
elk hunting podcast have been there. There's, you know, quite a few there. Uh, but I created the elk hunting 201 course, which was, you know, here's my system and, and kind of here's the system that I've you know, gathered from hundreds of interviews. And so it's like, here's, here's, here's what I use. Um, you can apply your own system to it. And it kind of teaches you how to apply it to your own hunting style, hunting place, all these things. So, um, but yeah, appreciate you having me on, man. Oh, my pleasure, man. It was, it was fun as always. And I look forward to when we get a chance to do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Always great talking to you, man. Yeah, man. Same. I appreciate it. All right. Take care, Cody.